listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at bethanynaz.org. So I wondered if as a community this morning of faith, we could just pray a simple prayer um, that says, God, my, my mind, my heart, my ears, I'm open to hear whatever it is that you want to say to me today. Can you think of any reason anybody in the room would say, I, I don't want to hear what God has to say to me? So I, I can't imagine what that reason would be. So I'm, I'm just saying, could we together just bow our heads and just, just kind of say in, in your own thoughts, your own words, I'll pray. Lord, our, our minds, our hearts, our ears are open. Uh, we want to hear what you have to say to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I don't know if you kept up at all in the news with the Alex Murdaugh trial. Um, I, I guess this guy is a lawyer from uh, South Carolina. And he was convicted of murder of his, his wife and his son. I, I can't even. You know, I go figure. I, I don't know. I, I can't begin to comprehend or understand why anybody would ever do anything like that. And I guess there's other things surrounding him. The, the truth is, I, I don't know the details and I didn't keep up with it, but I couldn't avoid it. Do you know what I mean? It's like if I turned on the evening news, there was Alex Murdaugh, his name, his picture, a video of him. Um, if I opened any news media at all online, it was Alex Murdaugh, his face, his name, his picture, everything. It was all there. And it was week after week after week after week. It seemed like every time I opened anything or looked at any news, it was Alex Murdaugh. He became, in American society, very well known, but not for the right reasons. What we would not say is that he became famous. We don't use the word famous to describe people like Alex Murdaugh, a guy who killed his wife and his son, lied about it, of course, and then the truth came out and he was found guilty. When we think about someone being famous... We might think about like a, an athlete who has accomplished a lot in their sport. I, I, I think I might even say that Mother Teresa became somewhat famous for her life that she lived. When we think about the word famous, we think about it like this. We think about someone who is well known, but it's in a positive manner, right? So when I think about somebody being famous, I think about, hey, that person's famous. It's, it's more of a positive thing. We have another word in our English language that we use to describe people like Alice Murdaugh. And that word is not famous, but it's infamous. And that's somebody who's well known for something bad. Right? We would never say that Adolf Hitler became famous for killing six million Jews. We would say he is infamous, not famous. In our text today... There are two main characters, okay? One became famous, and one became infamous. They both knew what the right thing was to do. One did the right thing, and the other did the wrong thing. 
The one who did the right thing became famous. The one who did the wrong thing became infamous. It brings me to the heart of the message this morning. Because there's something that I want to say to you. It's not new. In fact, it's been coined. It's, it's, it's something you're going to say, oh yeah, I hear that, you know. But I hope you hear it this morning in a little bit different way. It's simply this. That when you know what the right thing is to do, then do the right thing. And as we move through the sermon this morning, we're going to define right thing by being what God determines to be the right thing. Once you come to this place in your life that you know what God wants you to do, because right and wrong is not based on someone's opinion, right and wrong is determined by God. When you come to this place in your life where you realize this is right, and this is the right thing to do, Because God has deemed it to be right. When you know what the right thing is to do, then do the right thing. One of the characters in the text this morning does the right thing. The other character in the story does not do the right thing. Does not follow his heart. Does not do believe what he believes is the right thing. And his downfall was great. So let me take you to Matthew this morning, okay? Uh, Believe it or not, we're out of chapter 26 and we're into chapter 27, okay? Verse 1. So you might remember that Jesus has been arrested on Thursday night. He's been through some kind of a, a mock, fake trial by a high priest named Caiaphas. And, uh, and it gets out of hand at the end. And Jesus is treated horribly. And then when you get to verse 27, chapter 27, verse 1, here's where we pick up in the story of the last hours of Jesus' life. So early in the morning, this is Friday morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So you can see that it's ramped up at this point. They're going to be satisfied with nothing less than Jesus being executed. And so they bound him, and they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And we'll talk about the reasons behind all of that in a moment. When you get to verse 11, Jesus stood before the governor, Pilate, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus' response are these words, You have said so. Jesus replied. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders... No answer. He's completely quiet. He is silent. And then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? Still yet, no reply. Not even a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. Pilate is taken aback. You're not, you're not going to defend yourself? You're, you realize what's at stake here, right? Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. And at that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So the crowd had gathered. Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? I might remind you that Barabbas was in prison because of insurrection and, and murder. He's not a good dude, okay? 
Jesus has been, you know, praised and honored just on Sunday. Palm branches, cloaks off on the ground for his donkey to walk on, you know. He knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. He knows what the chief priests and elders are doing. So while Pilate was sitting in the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Pilate, don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd, asked for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. And they answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility And all the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. And then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium, the common hall, most likely at Pilate's headquarters there in Jerusalem, and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hell, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put it on his own clothes on him. And they led him away. To be crucified. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's an image this morning that we've added just above my head. And it's the image that represents the sufferings of Christ. In the season of Lent, we've been asking the question, how did Jesus respond To what was happening to him in these last hours of his life. And if holiness is Christ's likeness. Then can we become like Jesus in our seasons of suffering? Are you familiar with the names uh, Millard and Linda Fuller? Just hands in the air if you do know who they are. So just a a few people. They've not been really self-promoters. But... um, They've left behind quite a legacy. I, I brought a picture. I thought you might want to see them. You, you might ask, why in the world are they standing at a work site uh, to have their picture made? And the reason is, is because they are the founders of Habitat for Humanity. When Millard Fuller was 29 years old, he had become a self-made millionaire. While his business was thriving, his health, his integrity... And his marriage were suffering. And it caused him to step back and take a good look at his life. And he decided that something had to change. And in his search, 
He found Jesus and committed his life to following him. So they, they began to evaluate their life and said, what are we going to do with our life at this point that we have this new mission and cause of following Jesus? And so in 1976, they founded Habitat for Humanity. He had a vision. And, and the vision that he had, something he saw in the future that nobody else had yet seen. He had a vision that said every person deserves a simple place to live. Every person deserves a simple place to live. I want to see that become reality. And, and his strategy was pretty simple. Recruit every Jesus follower I can to swing a hammer. By the time he dies in 2009 at the age of 74, there were 300,000 Habitat for Humanity homes standing. Yeah. And so today, he's remembered with quite a legacy. I think there's a really good question here. How do you want to be remembered? Or what do you want to be remembered for? Or, or maybe we don't get that far. Maybe we want to say, how do you want to be known? And what do you want to be known for now? Quite a contrast when I think about Pilate's life. Let me dive into that text a bit with you this morning. The, the reason that they bind him, the Jews... Jesus and take him to Pilate, the Roman governor, is because they don't have the authority to take someone's life. So they've already determined that they want to execute Jesus. The problem is they don't have the authority to do that. They need a Roman ruler to work on their behalf to accomplish that. Now, Pilate is the Roman governor. He doesn't live in Jerusalem. His home is in Caesarea. But you remember it's Passover. And because it's Passover... Thousands and thousands of pilgrims are coming to Jerusalem. And so it was probably common for a guy like Pilate to say, you know, since I'm the governor of Judea, I probably should go over during Passover to, you know, kind of flex my muscle and to show our Roman military might. I want to make sure there's no civil unrest, kind of keep the peace. My presence there will kind of keep things the way it should be. And so it's convenient for the religious rulers that Pilate is in town. He's in the city. And so they take Jesus and they explain to him that Jesus needs to be crucified. Interestingly, Pilate questions Jesus and he can't really find any reason that this man should be put to death. But they're adamant. And so he devises a plan. It's a really good plan. He says, you know, it's the custom at Passover for me to release to you a prisoner. It was something he would do to gain good favor with the people. He's a good politician. And he says, uh, let me release to you a prisoner here at Passover. In fact, I'll let you choose between two. And so he offers Barabbas, this known criminal, a person who's committed murder, an insurrectionist. You can, you can have him or you can have Jesus. Jesus, only five days ago on Sunday, came into town and the crowds were going nuts. 
He came riding in on a donkey and they're taking their cloaks off and they're laying them on the ground and people are waving prom branches and they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, they love Jesus, right? So surely they're going to pick Jesus to be released. Pilate knows these are bad dudes that have brought Jesus to him. He knows what their interests are. So I'm going to put them in their place. I'm going to let Jesus go free. We'll take care of Barabbas. But the scripture says the chief priest and the elders convinced, persuaded the people to ask for Barabbas release and Jesus to be executed. Hmm. I want you to think with me just for a minute about Pilate and what he knew. Okay. He knew that Jesus was innocent. In John 18, we find the words, I find no fault in him at all. None. We know that God had granted him access to his wife's dream. He's an innocent man, Pilate. Don't have anything to do with this man. We also know that he's afraid of the crowds. John tells us in his gospel that he was afraid. He tried to release Jesus, but he was afraid of the crowds. He knew the hearts of the people who handed Jesus over to him. He knew it was out of self-interest. Luke 23 tells us that three times he states, I find no fault, I'm going to release him. But the crowd shouted louder, and he gave in to their demands. And then let me put a verse of scripture on the screen for you. Mark 15, 15. A terrible indictment on Pilate, wanting to satisfy the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Hmm. So what, what if you could have spoken to Pilate that Friday morning? What if you could have said, Pilate, could I talk to you a minute? I, th- I think you want to talk to me, okay? Pilate, I know that this is going to be hard for you to understand. It's not going to make a lot of sense. But but um, I know you have scrolls now, but one day they're going to have books, okay? And And there's going to be millions and millions and millions of books that are going to be printed. But there's going to be one book, Pilate, and that book is going to sell more than any other book in the world, it's, it's, it's like the, 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 the book that trumps all books. And I know this is hard for you to understand, but what's happening here this morning is going to be written down in this book. And Pilate, your story is going to be in the book. But you're not going to be famous. You're going to be infamous. You don't want to do this, Pilate. Let me tell you, I know. Okay, let me try again, because I know this is hard for you to get. But there's going to be, Jesus is the real deal, Pilate. I know you don't get that right now, maybe, but he is the real deal. He is truly God's son. He is divine. And and people are going to put their faith in him. And there's going to be this thing called a creed. I know you don't understand this, but 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 here's what the creed is going to say. I believe in Jesus who suffered under Pontius Pilate. 
And, and Pilate, billions of people are going to say this creed for a couple thousand years. They're, you're not going to be famous. You're going to be infamous. You don't want to do this. You realize today that there is one thing that Pontius Pilate is remembered for, and it is because he didn't do the right thing. He did the wrong thing. Oh, Pilate, the guy that did the wrong thing, the guy that did not follow his heart. He is remembered because he put a man to death who he deemed innocent. And we see him as weak. And we see him as a failure. And so, Rick, you're saying that this is about uh, reputation. I mean, it is about reputation. But what I think about Pilate is not what's important. As what God thinks about Pilate. Doing the wrong thing has eternal consequences. So as a, as a preacher who stands up Sunday after Sunday, I often ask myself when I'm working through sermons. So what, what are we talking about theologically here? In the Church of the Nazarene, we have a book of discipline called the Manual of the Church of the Nazarene. And in it, we have our statements, our articles of faith. And, and the 16th article of faith talks about judgment and destiny. Okay? And, and what we believe about judgment is that one day we will all stand before God and give an account of our deeds while on this earth. Meaning that Pilate is not exempt from standing before God and giving an account for his deeds while on earth. And we also believe that that judgment determines where one will spend eternity. And so doing the wrong thing has eternal consequences. So let me pull up a chair because I think we ought to talk about this for a few minutes. Because we're moving to that part of the sermon where that you are going to be saying, so, you know, what is God saying to me this morning? And then what do I need to do in light of what God is saying to me? I think every time we open the Bible, we have to ask the questions. What is God saying to me? And what would I need to do to align myself with what God is saying to me, right? I mean, why else would we, why else would we preach or why else would we open the Bible unless we're going to say, God, what do you have to say to me? And then what do I need to do to align myself to what you want to say to me with what you're saying to me? Right. And so and so let, let me just talk to you from this point. You may say, well, it's Pilate doomed. Is he done? Is it when a person doesn't do the right thing? Is it just over? Are you, is Pilate's story your story once you do the wrong thing? Absolutely not. On Tuesday morning. Jumped on the elevator, out the door, down the street, and I met one of our pastors, Pastor Jakes, at a young woman's home. And we were going there for a very specific purpose. She wanted to pray to be forgiven of her sin and to be made right with God and to become a follower of Jesus. And so Jake has just been a super pastor to these people. And, and I said, you, you lead the prayer. And I got to watch. And we're going to tell you her story one day. It's an awesome story. I can't wait to tell you the story. But, 
But Jake led her in this prayer and he did not glaze over the part that she had sinned and had not followed Jesus. And when she repeated the words after him, she said them with so such a repentant heart. I, I, I love the way she just prayed. Even though he gave her words, she added to his words, you know. And, and I haven't followed you, but I'm going to follow you. Jesus, I am going to follow you. God, I'm, I'm going to do what you want me to do. Your will. God, I am going to do your will. Do you know what? Being forgiven is awesome. I mean, it is, it is crazy good. In chapter 26, you can see where this thing's going. It, it gets ugly after Caiaphas has this fake trial with Jesus. It, it, it says that they were trying to find people to falsely accuse him. The religious leaders were at a point that they said, throw truth out the window. We want the guy gone. We'll do whatever it takes. We'll, we'll lie if we need to. And so here's what, here's what the scripture says, 26 verse 67. Then they spit in his face and they struck him with their fist. You ever watched a person in real life get hit by other people with fist? And others slapped him. And so it's turned into this mob mentality. When, when, when you get on in the story, Jesus is being accused, right, by the chief priest and the, and the elders, but he, but he doesn't defend himself. He does no pleading, no defending. In fact, he doesn't answer. And Pilate is like, the Bible says, amazed. Hey, bud, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna respond to this? I mean, this is the point of the trial where you speak up. He's silent. He says nothing. No pleading, no defending, nothing. See, I, I think if I would have been with Jesus and I was one of his followers, I'd been like, hey, can we just, can I have a minute with this guy? We need to talk, okay? Hey, Jesus, look at me, man. Look at my eyes. You got to say something. You know what happened last night? It was getting crazy. It's going to get crazier today. You, you, you've got to do something. But Jesus is silent. And what happens next? As I read to you in the story earlier, Pilate finally says, I washed my hands, which means I know what the right thing is. And he hands him over to be crucified, but first he has him flogged. In my research, I read that Roman flogging was a horrific method of torture. Not every person survived it. Whereas flogging in the Jewish synagogue was limited to 40 lashes, no such restrictions limited Roman flogging. A condemned man, women were not flogged, was led to a post, tied to it and beaten with a cruel leather strap interwoven with pieces of bone and metal that cut through the skin, leaving it hanging in shreds. The repeated flaying often exposed the bones, and in many cases, it was fatal. Flogging weakened the accused before the crucifixion. 
And with the Sabbath approaching, the Romans flogged Jesus nearly to death. So he would not be left on the cross at sundown. And it was after he was flogged that they placed the crown of thorns on his head. They spit on him. They took the reed from him and they struck him in the head with it over and over and over again. And it wasn't just about the suffering, it was about the humiliation. The robe they put on him, the crown of thorns they pressed on his head, the reed, it all represented a royal robe and a royal crown and a royal scepter. And they got down on their knees and they said, Hell, King of the Jews! And Jesus says nothing. His silence is his testimony of his unwavering commitment to God's will. Do you know why Jesus said nothing as a defense? Because decisions have been made the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that night he prayed a prayer that said, God, not my will. But your will be done. And he believed in the eyes of God. It was the right thing to do. Doing the right thing. Involves surrendering your life to God. The right thing is not a result of what you or I deem right and wrong. It's not a matter of our opinion. It's a matter of what God chooses for us. So I've got to wonder. If somebody has a decision to make today. In my life right now, Rick, there's a decision in front of me. I've got a choice that I've got to make. There's a right and there's a wrong. And I'm right now in that place of choosing. And I wonder if there's somebody that says, I've already made it. I chose. I chose wrong. I'm telling you the same grace that was available to that young woman that we prayed with on Tuesday morning is available to you. you know, forgiveness is an option. Would you stand with me and let me pray for you? Father, I pray that your voice and your grace will reach everyone in this room this morning. And that you will give us the grace to do the right thing. To surrender to your will. And to follow Jesus in that endeavor. And I pray this in Jesus' name. You know, these last Sundays of Lent, we've been just saying, you know, altars open today. It's actually always open. But sometimes it's good to come and pray, right? It's good to come and be in 
God's presence to talk to Him. And so this morning, if you want to pray, you're welcome to come and pray. And I'll just tell you that maybe God's spoken to you today through the sermon and you want to pray. It may be that you need God's healing in your life and you want to pray for God's physical touch. It may be that you want to pray for somebody that you love deeply for whatever reason. So for whatever reason, if you would like to come and pray, I invite you to come and pray today. Let's sing. Thank you, oh my Father, for giving.
is a sacred place. Father, we thank you for your spirit that guides us. We thank you for this season where we can just have a small glimpse at what you endured for each one of us. We thank you that you are our redeemer. We thank you that you are our savior. And we thank you, Father, that we can come to you with anything that we have in our life and lay it at your feet. You are the God who hears us. You are the God that sees us. You are the God that knows everything about us, exactly how we are made. Because you are our maker. And we praise you. You're an awesome God and we love you. We thank you for your spirit that is here with us today. If you've been with us through the Lenten season, you know that as you leave today, you'll be handed a devotional that you can take with you and share with others and and, uh, take as a reflective time of what you've heard and experienced today. There's also an opportunity today in the lobby for you to take uh, a yard sign, a door hanger, um, another invite card to invite someone to our Easter services. So as you leave today, we thank you so much for being here and you are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.